0: Hey, welcome back this week to the Rowdy Book Addict. This is episode number two. Today's episode, we're going to start by talking about, uh, well, we talk about two books. One of them is a nonfiction and the other one is a fiction. Um, So the nonfiction book is um, a National Book Award winner, a New York Times bestseller, and it is Ta-Nehisi Coates Between the World and Me. So this book is, um, it's a nonfiction, like I just said. And it's it's Coates writing to his teenage son. Coates is an African-American uh, man. And he's writing to his son about what it's like to be a young black man. And he's trying to impart some lessons about how to survive that in our nation. You know, uh, the sad thing is, is that there are a lot of... African-American males that are being, um, killed by the police and, you know, by other forces in America today. And in today's culture, it's being talked about more and more and more. Uh, this book, you know, as somebody who, who's not of African-American descent, you know, I'm just, I'm just a white girl, really. I'm just a white girl. I don't, I don't pay attention to race all that much. But, you know, the thing is is that we need to start paying attention. Because the people who don't pay that much attention to it, the majority of them are, you know, white people like me. And, you know, the thing is, is that it's not that we're not compassionate. It's not that we don't care. It's just we don't have to think about that stuff. You know, because we have certain privileges. And this book has helped me realize that and helped me, like, see that and be more aware of it. You know, you could argue that perhaps I was rather ignorant about all the stuff that comes with being not white. And I don't like saying that. It doesn't make me feel good. But, you know, this this book is, a, is an important uh, read. And, you know, Coates starts off by talking about how if you're an African-American male, especially, it, it, your body, your physical body, doesn't seem to belong to you. Because anybody can do anything to it and pretty much get away with it. You can get the beat down from the cops, you can get shot, you can get beat up from other people, and nobody really does anything about it. Nobody really does anything about it in our country, you know? And I think people I think people are starting to wake up in our society. It's just that it's taken such a long time. And pe- a lot of people are still in denial about all, all the things that Coates says. You know, he talks about the fear among people of uh, non-Caucasian background. They have a fear that at any moment, their life or the life of somebody else... Will be taken from them because of this unmitigated ability for like the white overlords uh, to do anything they want to um, people who are who are not white. And I'm, you know, again, I'm somebody who comes from that privileged race, and it's, it, you know, it's just really sad. It, it's really, really sad, and it makes me really kind of feel just despair for our country uh, because of all this Um, but yeah you know people who are who are non-white they have a certain fear because seems like anybody can do anything to them and there's no there's no consequences there's no recompense and that's a fear and that affects how they behave especially towards people of the privileged set Um, another thing Coates mentions in this book is that you gotta be careful if you're of non-white Descent. you have to be careful about what you're doing all the time you have to think about it all the time it's it comes it's like thrown in your face all the time even today when we are you know 40 or 50 years from the initial civil rights movement and we still have to you know we still have this stuff going on in our country it's it frankly it's ridiculous it really is and i i'm very saddened by all of that um he also talks about the dreamers And they are people who are sort of, they don't pay attention to what's really going on. They don't, they have blinders on, like, like me. I probably still have a few blinders on, but uh, I'm becoming more aware and less ignorant. Uh, But the dreamers are, you know, they're caught in this fantasy that everything's okay. Everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, it's just not true. They got to come out of the dream. Um, you know, so he talks about the fear, the dreamers, and you know, how it all is, is like a wraps up and it makes a hot mess of our society. Um, And you know, I'm really glad I read this book. I actually started reading it for a book group that was addressing institutional racism. And you know, it, we meet like every couple of weeks to talk about some things in the last meeting we talked about like biases and how we have to examine our own biases and what they are and you know because things have got to change in our country things have got to change we gotta stop making people feel this way you know um, if you're not a white person you're thinking about you know every day most of every day about how the fact that you're not white how is that gonna negatively affect you today And that's, nobody should live like that. Nobody needs to live like that. Nobody should live like that. I mean, how can we let that go on in our country? How can that still be going on today? And one of the ways we that we talked about in this book group that I'm in, one of the ways that we can make some change is examining our own biases. And there was a lot of, at least for me anyway, there were a lot of moments that were rather uncomfortable during that book group. But you know, the other thing about that is you have to get uncomfortable in order for change to happen. And so, you know, on the front front cover of this book, Toni Morrison, uh, a very famous African American author, very famous author, you could take the race out of that, but Toni Morrison, she is quoted as, this is required reading. And frankly, I agree with her. I totally, totally agree with her. It is required reading. I think everybody should read this book and think about it and talk about it. Um, and, you know, it is a New York Times bestseller, and it is a National Board, National Book Award winner. And it, it is, uh, it has those things attached to it for a reason. And so again, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. You should get a copy of this and you should read it. It's very timely. It's very poignant. And it is very, very eye-opening and thought-provoking. Okay, that's going to wrap up that book. Um, I, there's a lot more to say on it, but uh, I'm in the interest of time, I'm going to keep it to what I just said. So after a short break, we'll come back and we will talk about the fiction book for this week. Okay, we're back. Uh, so we finished up talking about the nonfiction, which was Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me. And now we're going to talk about the fiction book. So I am still on that kick where I'm reading uh, Raymond Chandler books that feature the private detective Philip Marlowe, and those are set in Hollywood in the golden era of film. So 1930s to 1950s is when they are pretty much set. And I'm still on that kick because I still enjoy a good old hard-boiled detective story Um, And this one that I read this week is called The High Window. And again, these are by Raymond Chandler. So it's The High Window by Raymond Chandler. And in this particular story, it is, um, we've got uh, Philip Marlowe, who is, is the PI, and he has been called in on a case. It's an old wealthy woman, and she has in her possession a very rare coin, and it is missing. And so she hires him, to track that down and she suspects that it her estranged her estranged daughter-in-law has stolen it um, and this old old wealthy woman is quite she's quite the hard case you know she's a very tough nut to crack and as it turns out she does not handle the people that work for her or who are a part of her family she doesn't handle those guys with the nicest touch she's got a very you know, sort of hard touch to her and not so nice to those people. So there's that piece. But, you know, so Marlowe, he's trying to investigate this coin situation, and he is being followed by somebody who is an amateur private detective. And Marlowe gets kind of fed up, and finally he confronts the guy, and it turns out that the guy is actually an amateur private detective who's been embroiled in a case that he doesn't feel confident about and so he asked Marlowe for some help. Well, Marlowe says, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll talk to you about it. But right now I got another appointment. Can we talk? Can we meet later? And the amateur private detective says, yeah, yeah, here's my uh, apartment number. Um, you know, see you See you later. Come to my place. And so Marlowe meets with the, his prearranged meeting, you know, where he was, that he was on the way to. And, you know, he wraps that up and he goes back to this other private detective's part apartment. And, well, he finds him dead. So there's another body, or there is a body, the first one, in this particular book. And Marlo's got to figure out, well, okay, so what's this all about? So he has another kind of murder to solve as well. But he's doing this of his own volition and not being, it's not attached to any case. Meanwhile, um, there's a nightclub owner who has a wife who used to be friends with the estranged wife of the old lady's son. And so he runs into them, and he runs into another guy who is the paramour of the nightclub owner's wife. And it's kind of a tangle, and the whole story is like a a messy tangle at first. And Chandler, bit by bit, unrivals it for you piece by piece through the astute and kind of crusty observations of Philip Marlowe. You know, the, in this story, there's forgeries involved. There's counterfeiting involved. There's a neurotic young secretary who works for the old lady and she isn't quite right. And Marlowe notices that, but he hasn't gotten her figured out yet. Um, there's a dandy, Son, you know, he's referred to as a flop, which, as I take it, means somebody who isn't, doesn't amount to much, kind of a playboy, kind of plays around a bit and tries to dress nice and sometimes gets himself into trouble and needs to be dug out of it, that kind of guy. Um, and we've got um, some, you know, harassment and assault. Uh, we've got, you know, crooked crooked lovers. I mean, it's quite, again, it's quite the tale. And Marlo kind of, you know, he kind of reminds me of, well, basically a burnt marshmallow, you know, you know, you you take a marshmallow and you're making a s'more and, you know, I happen to like charcoaling my marshmallows and he's kind of like that, you know, all crusty and blackened on the outside. But when you get into the center, you find that he's a, you know, there's a, a gooey mess um, and so Marlo reminds me of a burnt marshmallow, you know, he's crusty and hard on the outside, but he's really got a good, you know, a good heart and a good soul. And he's like kind of there helping people, uh, even though his exterior isn't necessarily reflective of his inner nature, but I can relate to him, you know, I can totally relate to him. And that's one reason why I like these books so much. I mean, you know, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's, He's rough. And he's sarcastic he has a very dry sense of humor but when you get underneath all that you can see he's just a teddy bear pretty much I mean he will you know he'll do he'll he'll do anything to protect the innocent or to help out the needy and he's kind of a stand-up guy even though you might not realize that at first Uh, and so I really like I really like Chandler I really like these books and I will find more and read more of him but some interesting quotes from the high window again, Chandler has that great way of putting things and he has a great style to his writing. But one quote that I really liked was, um, he's talking about a room that he's in when he visits this wealthy old lady on on his case. And one quote is, and two open windows with net curtains that puckered in and out like the lips of a toothless old man sleeping. I mean, how is that for you for imagery? Crazy stuff there. Uh, Another part is. Another part is that uh, he's talking about a showgirl at this nightclub. And he says, from 30 feet away, she looked like a lot of class. From 10 feet away, she looked like something made up to be seen from 30 feet away. I mean, how snarkier, how much snark can you get? I mean, come on. Another quote he says, again, still talking about a showgirl. The mascara was so thick on her eyelashes that they looked like miniature iron railings. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a lot of mascara. That's a lot of mascara, and her eyes must be, like, heavy with it. Another quote is when he's talking about a rough part of town, and he says, On the wide, cool front porches... Reaching their cracked shoes into the sun and staring at nothing, sit old men with faces like lost battles. Wow, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, whoa, if you got a face like a lost battle, then you got you've lost all sense of living. You've lost all pep and life. And yeah, that probably pretty much fits a place where it used to be the posh, part of town but it's really degraded into the seedy part of town and one more quote he's again talking about the same rough part of town that he's in but out of the apartment houses come women who should be young but have faces like stale beer and I'm thinking okay they're They've seen uh, too much in their life, and they, they just look like they're worn out and flat, flat and colorless is what is coming to my mind. But man, what a way to put things. What a very sort of sledgehammery kind of way to put things at times. And that's one thing that I like about about Chandler. And so again, if you're interested in the, uh, you know, get your hands gritty. And I'm, you know, the storyline is gritty uh, and the setting is gritty, but also the way that he describes things, the language is also kind of gritty and almost like a slap you in the face kind of uh, harshness. Um, And I enjoy that, but that's all balanced out by, you know, Marlo, who is a guy, like I said earlier, crusty outside, but at the interior is pretty much molten gold, you know, And he's really a good guy, and all that's balanced out. All the grit and, you know, terrible circumstances and not nice people that he deals with, it's all balanced out by the fact that he kind of saves the day and will help out anybody that needs help. You know, he'll protect clients at the risk of getting into major trouble from the police, and he'll help out people that are in a jam. You know, the neurotic secretary got in a jam. She certainly did, and he helped her out of it save the day. So it's a really, it's a really great book and I'm excited to read more from Chandler. So, uh, that will wrap up this week's podcast and I hope you enjoyed. See you next time. Bring your ears and your open mind.